In episode 77, since it's the end of the year, we're going to talk about what often happens at the end of the year, a look back. And I'll do that in the form of a retrospective on this podcast. And since I'm talking about retrospectives, I thought I'd start with a quick pitch for retrospectives and other techniques as tools you should be using with your team. So I'm Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode number 77 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. This episode has a bonus download with tips for unleashing the powers of retrospectives, which you can find at alltheresponsibility.com slash retro tips. Spell that any way you like. The notes for the show itself, with many links, including the one to the bonus download, are at alltheresponsibility.com slash 77. So let's start out. What is a retrospective? Well, it's a kind of a regular review of what went well, what went badly, what you want to keep doing, what you want to stop doing, what you'd like to try next time. So really up to five categories of things that you might discuss, which I think is kind of overwhelming in itself. The reason that we do them is because... According to research, and this is actual published research, and again, link in the show notes, debriefs, which is what it's called in this paper, debriefs improve effectiveness over a control group by approximately 25%. So I'll put a link to that paper in the show notes. That's the science. But anecdotally, we know that lots of successful organizations use structured debriefs in the belief that they help the team learn better, perform at a higher level, etc. I wrote a blog post about this. A few years ago, there's a link in the show notes again, called to 10x your profits, start with retrospectives. When you learn faster, you end up moving faster and more effectively, which means if you're a software development team or you're working on getting software to market, you get value to market faster if you don't screw that up in other ways, but the retrospective will help you with that as well, which means you're going to beat competitors more. And when you beat competitors more, you get more revenue faster And when you get more revenue faster, your profits go up. That's the basic argument. Retrospectives are one of the most powerful tools for doing that. And there's plenty of teams, including those of your competitors who aren't doing them. Now, of course, if you're not doing them and your competitor is, that's also a problem. So you need to start doing retrospectives. So I should have convinced you. And if I haven't, there's lots of other sources on retrospectives. So you might be asking, well, how do you do one and how often? Well, I do retrospective on this podcast about every year because I'm a team of one. I'm constantly, maybe too constantly, reflecting on what's working and not working. And my retrospectives are not as structured, perhaps, as they could be. Generally speaking, there's lots of different time frames that people do retrospectives in. I'll talk about a few different types of time frames to think about retrospectives in a minute. And then we'll go on to talking about the show itself and the retrospectives. I have covered... Re- retrospectives in three different podcast episodes already episodes 52 and 325 and the other one came out before i started numbering them i'll give links to all those i'm not going to go into a lot more detail but i did want to talk a little bit about a few more useful concepts that are somewhat related and like retrospectives about learning about improving and about making better decisions the way we usually think about retrospectives if we're in software is the sprint retrospective which is a look back over a short period of development, typically a sprint, which is usually two to four weeks long. In other words, you're not looking back very far. There's a lot of value in this short view, especially for finding small niggling annoyances that can be eliminated quickly, and which often cause a lot of friction. Getting rid of those things fast can have a big impact on the team's performance and their happiness. But you can also look back over a longer period, perhaps over the course of an entire product release, You know, if you're an enterprise software like me, 
you probably have projects that take three months or six months or maybe even 12 months to deliver from start to finish. And a retrospective over that period can be equally illuminating as it can surface larger kind of systemic challenges that if you address, make all future projects more successful. Of course, if a project fails, we're all familiar with the idea of a post-mortem to figure out what went wrong and how to avoid it. But even if your project didn't fail, a similar post-mortem type analysis can still be really powerful, especially if there were challenges during the project that jeopardized its success. Now, as a side note, another really powerful technique that's almost the opposite is the pre-mortem. In this technique, you look into the future to when your project has already failed or not met its expectations. Of course, this is all in your imagination at this point. And you determine what situations might have led to that result, the bad result. And then, of course, in your planning, you work out how to avoid those situations. It's another kind of learning that can help your team be more effective. And it's all kind of related, right? It's looking into the past to see what happened and determine what you should do more of and what you should do less of. Looking into the future to see what you should do more of and what you should do less of. Finally, there's a technique that Tim Ferriss recommends. Instead of making New Year's resolutions, he recommends this technique. So it's very close to a traditional retrospective, but applied slightly differently. I'll put a link to his article on this technique, which he calls simply the year in review in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 77. The gist of the technique is to review your past year, and you make two lists. You make a list of the things that created value for you, or created delight or peak experiences, and the things that lost value for you. So he talks about these activities that created peak positive and peak negative emotions for you when doing it for his personal life. If you're doing it from a more business perspective, you might say, what were the highest payback things that you did this past year? You know, and this is something you can do individually as a product manager, or you can do it as a team, something like that. Then you very purposefully make plans for the next year that include those activities that created value. You actually put them on your calendar and say, this is when I'm going to do those things. For the negative items, you make a do not do list and you review it regularly. He suggested daily at first as the new year starts up to make sure you really get in the habit of rejecting the bad things. So basically, if there's something you want to be sure to do or something that makes everything else better, you put it on your calendar or you build it explicitly into your process. And if there are things you never want to do, you explicitly build a process where you can reject those activities. So let me just close with five retrospective tips. These are the tips that are in the bonus handout, which you can download at alltheresponsibility.com slash retro tips. First one is to get started. Retrospectives and debriefs only pay back on that promise if you do them continually over a long period. You know, you actually get value from one retrospective. Often you'll reveal insights that you can apply immediately. But the real power comes over time as you build learning upon learning. The second thing is to try different techniques and tools. There's a basic what went well, what went badly, what should we double down on technique that's familiar to many people from Scrum. And it's a great technique, but there's actually lots of different ways of doing a retrospective or a debrief or a postmortem. The different techniques are good for revealing different insights. And again, some links to different sources of ideas for retrospective techniques in the show notes and on the tip sheet. Third, retrospect over different time periods. I mentioned a few of these. Just like using different techniques, looking back over different periods can you can give you different insights. And even looking forward, doing a pre-mortem has a lot of power. 
Number four is retrospectives are about small wins. Your insights might seem small for any given retrospective, but if you do them continually, they compound. And just as in sports, where the winning team is often separated from its competitors by tiny margins, you can win by inches compounded over time. In the Tour de France, it's a 21-day race over 2,000 roughly miles, and the winner is often only minutes ahead of the second-place finisher, right? They've ridden their bikes for hundreds of hours, and yet the difference is a, min a few minutes. And that's the type of thing that you can do with retrospectives is you can gain those minutes. And sometimes you gain, of course, much more. And finally, remember that the process is not about doing the retrospective. The retrospective is not the end. It's not the end goal. It's a means to an end, which is to improve your bottom line for whatever bottom line you're interested in or your outcomes or your results. Like any process, if the retrospective becomes the metric, it means you've probably lost touch with the goal and you're unlikely to achieve the progress you desire. Okay, so that's all about retrospectives. Let's turn the spotlight back on me <laughs> and this podcast. As we've all experienced, 2020 has been an unusual year. So many odd things have happened. Obviously, the global pandemic that's kept us a lot of us at home working in our garages. It should have been a great time to put out a lot of podcast episodes, and indeed, I think there are a lot of new podcasts out there this year. But, of course, pandemics, in addition to keeping us home, cause stress and worry and challenges of other kinds. Now, I was barely touched in that sense. It was very easy for me to continue my full-time day job from the garage. You know, I work for a large enterprise software company, or I'm responsible for a key component, but just one component. Well, actually, now two. I just got another one of the platform that our clients use on a day-to-day -day basis. So as a result of the pandemic, some good things for me, I no longer have a commute. I go to work from my garage, as I mentioned. It's giving me more time to write, but I've also spent a lot more time with my family, a lot more time cooking, and to be honest, catching up on great TV. Realistically, even then, I've barely scratched the surface of all the TV, even though I feel like I watch a lot. I haven't actually watched all the big shows that have come out this year, or at least I haven't finished them. So all the time in the world, it seems like, and yet not enough time to watch Tiger King. So how did this impact the podcast? Well, I did my last retrospective episode for the end of 2019, and I said the following about what went okay but could be improved. So my cadence of getting episodes out was a challenge at that time. My show is also a solo show. That's been good, but there are some voices out there that I feel you get a lot of insights from. Again, this is all what I have said at the end of 2019, a year ago. Sometimes I sound like I'm reading a script. Now, of course, I am often reading a script, but I'm not supposed to sound like I am. I think I've improved on that. And I also sound like I'm already running this podcast at 1.25 times speed. You know how your podcast player can speed up the podcast audio. I'm already talking at that speed. That's just reality. That's how I talk. So how did I do against those items? Well, I'll get to that down the road, but I first want to take a brief detour on a topic that as a podcaster is one of the things that most weighs on me if I let it and how I learn to actually relax myself on this. And I have to actually think about whether that relaxation was the right decision or not. And that is about consistency. So I write nearly every day using an online app called 750words.com. This site tracks a metric for me, which is the length of my current streak. And I've had some very, very long streaks. My longest 
is over a year of writing in the app every day. So like 440 days. But I also have very long stretches where there's one missed day. So like that 440 day streak, there's one day between it and the next streak, which was also really long. So what's that about and how should I feel about it? Well, in fact, I had a streak like that just recently. On December 1st, I just forgot to do my writing. That was just less than a month ago. And so my streak, as I am sort of writing down the notes for this show, was 19 days. It's actually, that was a few days ago, so it's a little bit longer now. The streak I broke was about 140 days. So the first time I was on a really long streak and it broke, I was disappointed and it stuck with me for days. I was very down on myself. What happened in that case to cause my streak to break? I just forgot to write that day. Same thing that happens multiple times. I mean, literally, all day it never crossed my mind. I normally write in the morning, and if my routine works normally, that's awesome, and it's not a problem to maintain the streak. But there are enough days in my life where I just can't get to the computer first thing in the morning for whatever reason. Maybe I have an early meeting, or maybe I have to go to the dentist, or whatever. If that happens, then I have to remember to get back to it later in the day, sometimes as late as 11 p.m. or even later. It takes me at least 12 minutes to write enough, 750 words, to maintain my streak, so I have to start writing by around 11.45 p.m. or I can't make it. Anyway, on that day, whatever day it was, I wasn't able to write in the morning, then I didn't remember again about writing till the next day. Until the next day, I just had totally forgotten about it. Now, in the past, there had been a lot of streaks that had broken, but none of them were nearly as long as this one. So this one kind of hit harder than previously. And I was sort of working with the idea that I would write, have a streak for at least a year. And I broke it on, you know, maybe day 185 or something. I just forgot to write. And of course, when you break a streak, you can't recover. There's no patching up a missed streak. So what did I do? Well, eventually, and this is the key point of this whole story, I came around to a perspective on this. First of all, I am very proud and pleased with the writing that I do do. I've written nearly 4 million words on this platform in about 10 years. That's amazing. I'm continually amazed at this. I've, it's been a huge amount of value for me. Also, no one died from my missing the streak. No one was even hurt, except me, and only if I let myself get hurt. So I realized that I had invested in the metric I was tracking, and I'd forgotten about the purpose of the writing. In other words, I had put the process over the purpose. Now, I did a whole podcast on the dangers of putting process over purpose. That's episode number 322. You can find that at alltheresponsibility.com slash 322, of course. So putting process over purpose is a great way to stop delivering value, and it's true in every aspect of life, both work and non-work. But I was also suffering from something else that I mentioned in the last episode, the episode on how to build psychological safety in your team. And that was something called the second arrow. This is an idea from Buddhism. So the world will often pierce you with an arrow, some kind of a pain or frustration or disappointment or injury, worry, whatever it might be. And the world may be just you, of course, like breaking a streak. But the second arrow is the one that comes from inside you, the one that you inflict on yourself in the same place as the original one from outside. Now, you don't have much control over the world. It may randomly strike you. But you do have control over that second arrow. You can choose not to shoot it at yourself. So, with a little distance from my disappointment of my streak breaking, I turned it into a kind of a litmus test. I realized, actually, that my broken streak was a gift to myself. It was a relatively low-impact way 
to remind me that the process was not the important part of what I was doing. The broken streak was a kind of imperfection that in some way points out how rich life is. It didn't have any impact on the world or me except for the impact I let it have. And if I refused to let it have an impact, or indeed made its impact into me on a positive, that was my choice. So how does this relate to my podcast retrospective? Well, I've been frustrated with my uneven output of podcast episodes. I did roughly 26 this year, but very irregularly. I have had one or two months with three or more episodes and a few months with no episodes. In other words, my streaks have been very streaky related to the podcast. And in fact, they have been non-existent. You can't call three episodes in a row a streak, really. So not being consistent in podcast production potentially has a bigger impact than missing a day of writing. Everyone says that consistency is one of the keys to building your podcast audience and all that. But the fact that I can't do anything about the weeks I missed in 2020, that's just reality. I can strive to do better, but I can't fix the past. But I can do more than that. I can not only accept what happened in 2020, but I can celebrate it as that's what I did. I did get 26 episodes out. You know, most podcasts stop after seven episodes, at least according to what I've read. And more than half of podcast episodes only have 100 downloads in their first month. I surpass both of those metrics easily. Now, I don't want to let some outside standard of success blunt the fact that I've got a podcast that's now been going for years and that people have find a lot of value in, even if irregularly, and that I enjoy doing when I do it and I have big plans for. So the past is what it is and the metrics are not as important as my satisfaction and, of course, your satisfaction. If I can run this podcast to my own satisfaction, that's what I should focus on. You know, I do the podcast all by myself, the recording, editing, posting, writing the show notes, writing the script, all that. And if I don't have something interesting to talk about, something that I feel is valuable enough for you to spend 25 to 30 minutes listening to, I don't want to do an episode just to keep a streak alive. When I'm doing my writing, I sometimes write the words, I don't know what to write over and over again to get to 750 words. That's literally just to preserve the streak. Now, it's worthwhile doing that for the purposes of my writing streak, but I'm not going to give you a podcast that is essentially like that. That's just not valuable to you. So I feel like I can be proud of that litmus test. I don't focus on consistency in production. I focus on consistency in quality and meaningfulness and value. And by that metric, to get to the end point, I feel 2020 was a great year for the podcast. And of course, in 2021, I want to try to achieve both, consistency and quality. Of course, I'm not going to let the quality go. We'll see what happens with consistency. Quality will always win over consistency. If I don't have a topic worth 25 minutes of your time, I'm not going to put out an episode that week. So let's just do the what went well, what didn't go so well. Here's what I've been happy with about the podcast in 2020. So as I said, I did 26 or so episodes, maybe actually fewer. I feel very good about the content. I hope you do too. It's run the gamut from mental models to book reviews to interviews to psychological safety to guidance on careers. A lot of good stuff. I've gotten some good feedback, not as much as I would like. It's always great to get feedback. The feedback that I do get definitely helps with keeping fuel in the engine to keep going. I had two shows with guests, Lisa Collin and Greg Prickrell. They were both great interviews. I do want to do more interviews in 2021. I'll get to that. I have simplified my production process a little bit. And production quality has not been a problem. 
The episodes sound good, even though my production workflow is about as simple as possible, and my level of expertise as a sound engineer is nil. I just I have a decent microphone, and I'm lucky that my voice sounds fine when it's recorded. So, what didn't go so well? I already talked about consistency. I was not as happy with it. The fact that I got my workflow down and under control is great, but it doesn't significantly reduce the amount of time to create an episode on my part. So, I don't think... If I want to put out the type of quality that I'm putting out, I might not be able to get it down to what would be ideal, which would be maybe an hour to do an episode. It's still around four hours because it takes some effort to create the script and come up with the ideas and and make sure it all hangs together. I'd always like to get more feedback. I don't get as much feedback. I've mentioned that before. And it's not just, though, from my own feelings of self-worth, which does help. But without feedback, it's hard to know if I'm steering the boat in the right direction. So the little feedback I get really does help in that way. And if you, I always say, if you want me to go talk about certain things, you should leave me a note that says you do. And there's lots of ways to do that. Okay, so what did I say I was going to do? What, at the end of 2019, what did I say I was going to do in 2020? Well, I was going to fix the numbering scheme of the episodes. I did that. And I'm pretty sure some people are confused when they still find episode 323 comes before episode 71, but that's just going to be the way it is. I am, I was going to start having more guests. I did have two guests, but I don't think I quite achieved my goal and I didn't get to a weekly cadence. So what is going to, what is 2021 going to look like? Well, definitely going to have more people on. This is partly because I've talked about a lot of the things already that I feel like are important to talk about, although I always am surprised when I find out there's things I've written blog posts about that I've never done a podcast episode on. So there's still going to be those. But I also have this idea about an interview series that I think I've talked about before. I'm not going to go into it today that I think will be really valuable for the listeners of this podcast. And so I'm really going to work on getting that thing to happen this year. Another thing is not everybody listens to podcasts. Not everybody sees my blog posts. Not everybody sees, follows me on Twitter or on LinkedIn. And I think there's ways that I can repurpose the content that I create for the podcast in ways that gets it out to bigger audiences. I think they would find the content useful for another in another form if I do that. And so that's going to be one of my big projects for 2021. I'm going to be doing more audience building activities, just getting the audience for the podcast up. I think there's a lot of folks who would find benefit in the podcast who probably aren't listening to it. So I'm going to work on that. And a few other little things. I plan to redo the website. Who cares about the website? Most people don't come to the website who listen to the podcast, but I just would like it to look a little bit better and be a little more, a little more beautiful. So that's an, another thing that I'm going to try to do. So let's just talk about three things to take away from this retrospective. So I do this show for you, and if you want to hear about a particular topic, what I think about it or how I'd address it or manage it, let me know. You can drop me a line on all the different places, and I will do my best to answer your questions either in the podcast or just directly with email. Happy to respond to emails. Thinking about this whole discussion about streaks, you might want to think about what vanity metric you are valorizing in your life and see if you can't get out from under it like I'm trying to do with my writing streaks and my podcast episode streaks. And finally, I hope your year-end activities, holidays, vacations, maybe a little rest and relaxation, are going well, have gone well. And I'm wishing all of us a great, exciting, 
transformational 2021. In fact, I'm hoping for all of us that it may be just as interesting as 2020, but for better reasons. So thanks for listening to this podcast over the past year. I've loved bringing it to you. I hope you found some value. Next year, there will be some changes for the better, although I'm not going to promise more consistency as I kind of tried to indicate. Think of all the episodes as little treats that spill down from the internet and you never know when they're going to show up. I have a great idea for the new interview series, as I mentioned. It'll require some organization on my part, so I'm not sure quite when it's going to hit the air, but it's definitely going to. If you want to drop me a line or explore some of the podcast episodes I mentioned, visit the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 77. You can leave me a comment and you will find a bunch of links there, all of which are worth clicking. And as a reminder, there's a bonus download with retrospective tips and resources at alltheresponsibility.com slash retro tips. And you can spell that either as one word or as retro dash tips. I'll put both. I'll make both of those work. Have a great holiday season. Have a happy new year until 2021, which is just a few days away. This is Nels Davis. Bye-bye.